So it's Saturday, 14th of August, 2021. We come together to train our minds, to cultivate these minds, what we call uh, jitta, bhavana, or developing our kamatanas, meditation. And uh, we do this for the sake of inner peace. So why is it that we need to train our minds like we do together? And what is this mind? The mind is a knowing element, an element which receives the objects of the six senses. And this knowing element, it depends upon this body as well. You see that animals also have knowing elements which reside inside an animal body. Uh, but due to the karma that they have created, that body that they have, it's still incomplete. It's not full. So it's very difficult for them to bring their minds to stillness, to peace. And uh, the body that they've gained, which has been built by the karma that they've produced, um, it's not able or the mind that's in that is not able to know or to see the Dhamma. And so it's similar to how those who have been born humans but are still at a very young age, um, their brain is not yet fully grown or developed, it's not uh, complete enough to be able to gain an understanding of the Dhamma. So children who are three or four years old, for instance, uh, their brain is still very much undeveloped. So in order to be able to understand the Dhamma, to uh, know the Dhamma, uh, at least seven years old uh, is the, the minimum age. So Lady Visaka, at the age of seven, uh, her biological machine that she was, that her mind was residing in, um, it was complete enough, and she also had the required amount of barami. Uh, to be able to see the Dhamma at the age of seven, to attain to stream entry, Sotapanna, at that age. So when we look at this, we just see this present life, that at the age of seven, uh, she could see the Dhamma. Uh, but there was also a lot that she had cultivated before that. And she had attended to three of the previous Buddhas, and in her last, or this life, the life with the Buddha, that was the fourth Buddha that she had attended to and served. So we can't just measure things um, from the external experience or the external appearance like this. And so sometimes children are able to know the Dhamma, but adults aren't able to know this. And it depends upon the barami that we create. And so we see that within this life, in our experience in this life, that the different people um, have different levels of parami, and this affects the experiences that they have. But whatever the case, we've all been born already, and we don't actually know how much parami that we have, how much of these spiritual virtues we've created, how strong they are, whether it's a lot or a little. So despite that, um, we try to develop 
Abharami as best we can in this life, really set our hearts on that. And even though it's quite difficult, still we pursue that path. And this mind can be very frantic, can think about all kinds of things, be very unsettled, always be thinking without stop. So we see sights, hear sounds, and uh, smell odors, taste flavors, feel tactile sensations. And there's also the thoughts and the emotions which appear within the mind itself. And even if we're in a very quiet place, we're staying by ourselves in an empty dwelling, in an empty building, or in a forest staying at the foot of a tree, um, still the mind can be thinking about so many things. There can be all of these Dhamma Aramanas appearing within it. And uh, so all of these things there are coming up within the mind. The mind is experiencing them. Perhaps there will be a lot of memories from the past that appear. And then the mind takes those and thinks about them even further, proliferates upon those. So it's really important for us to bring up mindfulness, to have great mindfulness, and to know all of this um, as it's happening, for that mindfulness to be on top of it. For this mindfulness, the sati, to always be recollecting, for this to be constant, to know what it is that we are feeling right now. And whenever one of the sense impressions comes into the heart, we need to be very cautious at that point. So in this present day, do we see how people are being cautious due to this COVID virus, that they're very careful, they're trying to protect themselves. They may wear two layers of face masks and then even a face shield on top of that. They clean their hands constantly with alcohol, uh, trying to purify them, trying to get rid of this virus. And so this act of protecting ourselves through washing our hands, um, this and the cleaning of our body, we could refer to this as sila. It's like we have this good virtue, this good morality. And so we try to protect ourselves in this way, and we also try to not let these uh, viruses or germs gain entry into the body. And this we can compare to mindfulness, sati, this quality of mindfulness which looks after the heart and tries to prevent these uh, sense impressions from gaining entry. And then when they do gain entry, then we know them. We're up to speed with them. We have this knowledge of them that's quick enough. Trying to see them as being something that changes, something that is suffering, stressful, and not self. It's not a being, it's not me, it's not other. And so we look at it in this way. But if there is this proliferation, um, then that's always based upon a sense of self. We see that when the proliferation occurs, then the sense of self has arisen already. That when the external sense media comes into contact with the inner sense organs, um, then that will produce a sensation, and the mind knows that. And so we should gain, we should make sure that our knowledge of that is up to speed with it. 
and try to bring up mindfulness, this sati, to be looking after the heart. So if we're not careful in this way, then there'll always be this proliferation. The mind will just think and think and think. And there'll always be the sense of self going on constantly. The mind will just be scattered throughout the entire day. And so there's no way that we can gain a knowledge into the truth um, with a mind that's in this state. So we need to be cautious. So this external caution is we don't let these viruses gain entry into the body. And we also have a fear of them as well. And we try to remove them if they have gained entry. So this is like abandoning any unskillful or evil states that have arisen. We try to put these down. And any of these unskillful states which have yet to arise, we put effort into not allowing them to arise. And we work at cultivating our barami, any skillful qualities um, that are yet unarisen, then we try to develop them, we try to bring them up, try to bring up mindfulness, try to cultivate samadhi, uh, so that wisdom can manifest. And any of these skillful states which have arisen, we look after them, we nourish them, we care for them. So we can compare the ways in which we act externally in the internal practice like this. So when we are walking this path of practice, then some days the mind will just be really scattered, it will be chaotic throughout the entire day, just thinking, proliferating, giving rise to this inner narrative without stop. And um, we can then think at that point then, or if the mind's in that state, we can consider how long is this life, how much time do I have left in this life? maybe thinking and thinking and thinking. So we should bring these thoughts around to when will I die. So it's possible for the mind to proliferate about anything. If it's in a fearful state, then it can proliferate um, so that the mind has even more fear, gets even more scared. But it's also possible for it to proliferate so that bravery comes up. It can be proliferating so that we feel love, so that we feel hate. And it's just like how we say we can proliferate the food that uh, we cook so that it gives rise to certain flavors. That we can um, cook that food so and add the ingredients so that it's spicy or so that it's um, sour or bitter or sweet. So we can kind of proliferate flavors in this way. And in the same way, it's possible for the mind to proliferate um, all these different mental states into existence. So we need to take great cautious over these minds, looking after them, taking care of them. And in the beginning, really everything in this practice is difficult. The whole thing is hard work. There's a lot of of these thoughts, this narrative just goes on and it's really tough. The mind doesn't experience much peace. But once we've gotten to know and understand the methods and the strategies of the practice, then we should undertake those and not 
retreat, not give up. We sit in meditation, we walk in meditation, and we really bring up our determination to do this, to sit for many hours in the space of one day, so that our minds can come into peace. And what is there when the mind is in a peaceful state? There's vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakata. So the initial and sustained application of the mind, then joy, happiness, and this one-placedness of mind. And so this is the first jhana when these five factors are present. And then in the second jhana, there's piti, sukha, ekakata. And then in third jhana, sukha, ekakata, this happiness and one-placedness or one-pointedness. And then in the fourth jhana, there's just the stillness, lupeka, this equanimity. So this is a matter of the samadhi that we cultivate. And sometimes we may not know what level of samadhi we have or what level it requires in order to attain to the Dhamma. And it's possible that the mind may just become still and gather together. And then we may gain an understanding into the real nature of the Dhamma, seeing all things as being anicca, dukkha, anatta. And through this, then, we see the Dhamma. We gain this really profound, uh, deep knowledge into the Dhamma, a great clarity of it. And uh, when we see this, then we also notice that when we gain this clarity of understanding, then our minds change. The faith that we had before becomes even stronger. Our determination becomes more powerful, more firm. And we see that this world doesn't contain anything which belongs to us, that all bodies must die that all people in this world, they're in a state of chaos because of the greed, hatred and delusion that they have within their hearts, and that those who understand the Dhamma are very few. But if we see this with clarity, then it's possible for the mind to leave the world. This clarity of insight, it turns into an energy which uh, pushes the mind, it gives the mind kind of incentive to leave this world, to put down all the attachments that we have to the things of the world, and to release these, to go out and to find great teachers, ones who themselves know the Dhamma. So for myself, I went to see many of these great teachers, went to pay respects to them, and I had the great fortune to listen to the Dhamma of many Arahants. And uh, these teachers were ones who had uh, great barami. It was a, a great fortune in my life to be able to do this, to be able to train and practice with one of these teachers, to offer both my body and my life to Venerable Ajahn Chah. And so when I was attending on him, uh, then I would have this opportunity to serve him, to, uh, to offer my life to him and also to study the Dhamma that he taught. And really he taught in quite a simple way. 
he said, just look at this mind. Is it attracted or is it repulsed? And if it is, then put these things down and get it into a state where it's not given either to attraction or repulsion. And this here is the path to the Dhamma. So it's not convoluted or complicated in any way. We just um, stay restrained. We have caution. And this restraint and caution over our body and speech, this is sila, our virtue. And then we set our hearts on cultivating these minds, on practicing. And we do it like this. We do it consistently. And we don't let up. We try to make our practice even and continuous in this way. And if we do this, then one day we will see clearly, clearly understand that there isn't a me, there isn't any mine. And when we talk about these things, it's just words that we use in line with conventions uh, that we give rise to. And so there may be times when we kind of the wrong perceptions come up. We may see a sock, but think that it's a towel. And, uh, and so use this sock to wipe uh, someone's body. And so there was an instance of this where there was a mother who had Alzheimer's and uh, her child was unwell, had a fever, and um, so could see this and wanted to help, uh, but didn't really know what to use, but saw a sock that was there, and it was a clean sock, and thought that it was a towel, and so used that to wipe her child. And she wasn't even able to remember that this was her child. She just saw that there was someone who was sick uh, there, and so she thought, well, what should I do? How can I help this being? And the child just let her mother uh, wipe her down with the sock because she saw that it gave her mother happiness. And at the end, she put the sock on her child's forehead. And so this is just a convention. And if someone was <coughs> looking at this, they may think that it's not correct. But really, it's just conventional. So Limpo Cha, Cha, he once gave a, a simile, a teaching on this. And um, he said, well, spittoons, there's something that's dirty, right? But one day he asked, he pointed at a spittoon and asked, can I have that glass? So he was calling a spittoon a glass. And the one who was listening to this, they may well get kind of aggravated by that, that he was calling it the wrong name may think that this is a spittoon, it's not a glass. But really, Limpucha, he was just changing these conventions around, changing up these suppositions, taking a spittoon and calling it a glass. And so we can call a spittoon a glass, and a glass a spittoon, and that's okay. Change these conventions around. And, but in reality, if we can break these things down, separate them out, we see that none of them are there. There's no spittoon, there's no glass. They're just elements which follow nature. 
and we give them names like this, but these are just conventional names that we suppose into being. And that thing itself, the spittoon, the glass, it itself, it doesn't know what its name is. It isn't aware of what people call it. So, so the Dhamma is this way. And if we really look clearly, then we'll understand that these things don't exist. There's no me, there's no mind, there's no being. If people shout at us, there isn't actually a person who's shouting at us. And if someone praises us, there's no one who praises us. If they gossip about us, there's no one there who's doing the gossiping. There isn't anything there. But when there's the existence of a me, then there'll also be the existence of those people who like me or dislike me. But in reality, they're not actually there. They're just these knowing elements. Uh, but when this knowing element has ignorance and then it proliferates, um, then it will start hating people and liking others and loving others. But that's just the activity of this knowing element gives rise to conventions in this way. And if it's deluded, it'll give rise to this convention of a self. But if it has Dhamma, then it will see arising and ceasing. So if there's ignorance within the mind, then this ignorance too arises and ceases. If there's this proliferation which uh, conditions the mind, then this too arises and ceases. And we look at this and look at this until we meet with reality, until we actually understand these things for what they are. And it's really important for us to get to this point. So we should train ourselves in this way, viewing all things as being conventions. And if we can do that, if we can actually see that, and then the heart will become liberated. So when the mind gathers into a state of samadhi, then it's possible for it to experience this. And just like how I've um, said before, that uh, prior to my ordination, as one time when I was just listening to the Dhamma, as I always had, there was nothing really special going on. Um, but And there was this uh, teaching uh, that was being told about uh, different glasses, um, different sizes of glasses. That there was big glasses and medium-sized glasses and small glasses. But I gained a real deep understanding into the nature of conventions through that teaching and seeing how really there was no big glass or small glass. These things didn't actually exist. The mind gathered together, it was in a state of stillness and brightness. And I really thought, all these things, they don't actually exist, do they? Because before I had attached to all of these, that these conventions were real. But when the mind was still, it wasn't proliferating. It was able to see into the nature of the Dhamma, to perceive things in this light, to gain a clarity of understanding and insight. So could see into the Dhamma, know the Dhamma. And then the mind changes at this point. There's a lot of joy, happiness, which fills up the heart. 
And so I could see that all things in this world were just conventions, that the whole world was filled up with these conventions. And if someone were to offer me everything in this world, that say that the entire world was filled with valuable things, with diamonds and gold and different uh, kinds of wealth, and I were to become the owner of that, I think that I wouldn't wish for that. I wouldn't want to become the owner of anything in this world because I have to die, don't I? Everyone needs to die. And so what could I take with me past this world? And this knowing element knew that I wasn't able to carry any of these things, to take any of these things. I'd have to leave all of it behind. So when the mind sees things in this light, and it gains the feeling that it'd be better to find that which doesn't die, to find the deathless Dhamma. And so for those people who contemplate into the body, what they're drinking, what they're doing is drinking the ambrosia of the deathless, and that they don't die. They drink this elixir of immortality. So when the mind is peaceful, then we contemplate how all physical and mental things change, how they're stressful, how they're not self. And then through this, then the mind becomes pure and it's able to become free as well. And we see into the nature of all things, all conventions, and it's really amazing. See arising and ceasing and see how there isn't really a true self. So before this, we see everything in terms of self. It's just me and others. But in reality, these things don't exist. This self, this being, other, it's not actually there. It's just the deluded mind that gives rise to these. And so when we Or in order to understand this, we must really practice, to practice a lot, to train ourselves a lot, to really be looking after these minds. And then we'll gain a deep understanding (coughs) into the Dhamma. But for, for us to gain this deep understanding, we need a mind which is peaceful. So don't become discouraged, don't give up, but rather set your hearts on this path.